Welcome to AEM Early Access, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. In the United States, over 7.5 million patients present to the emergency department with a chief complaint of chest pain every year, and over 6 million present with potential anginal equivalents, such as shortness of breath. High-sensitivity troponin assays have held some promise of more accurate and rapid rule-out of acute MI, but the United States is about a decade behind the rest of the world in terms of this assay's clinical availability, and most of our data comes from Europe, where the prevalence of acute MI is actually different than it is in the United States. So today we're talking about a new article in Academic Emergency Medicine entitled, Myocardial Infarction Can Be Safely Excluded by High-Sensitivity Troponin Eye Testing Three Hours After ED Presentation. Lead author, Dr. Frank Peacock, is here with us to discuss it. Dr. Peacock is a professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine and Vice Chair for Research at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, and we're delighted to have him here with us today. Don't forget to read the full text of this article, available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Dr. Peacock, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, thank you for the opportunity to talk about uh, troponin, my favorite molecule. <laughs> so in your paper, we're discussing specifically this Beckman-Coulter high-sensitivity troponin eye assay. So can you briefly catch us up on the previous research on this and what we know about high-sensitivity troponin and this assay in particular? Sure. Um, so troponin's been around a good probably 20 years now, um, and it has recently become, and by recent, I mean the last decade, uh, the standard by which we define myocardial infarction. Uh, assays, when they first came out, were really not very good. We could only tell patients had abnormal troponin elevation. If it was rocket high, it wasn't a little bit elevated. It had to be really elevated. So initially, troponin was great to be in myocardial infarction test, but that was all. It didn't do anything else. And it really wasn't very good for emergency docs because, quite honestly, when you have a really high troponin, we send you off to see the cardiologist and get that sorted out. Where emergency docs, which is my field, uh, want to know about is the low levels because we are responsible for sending people home. And, you know, the, the bias is everybody goes to the hospital and get admitted. But the, the true reality here is about 85% of the people are discharged who come in with signs and symptoms suspicious for heart problems. So 15% get hospitalized, but most go home. But there's a huge amount of time spent fooling around because we can only tell if the troponin is extremely high. And then high sensitivity troponins come out and they can tell troponins when they're very low, which means if it's really low, I can be done with you and I don't have to be waiting around to see if it becomes really high. That's the value of high sensitivity troponin. And that has, in the last decade, uh, starting in Europe and only relatively recently, like in the last three years, coming to the U.S., is the point of high-sensitive troponin. We have a lot of education problems with this molecule. People think it has sensitivity and specificity for the diagnosis of myocardial infarction. And it is part of it. But when we talk about high-sensitive troponin, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the ability to determine very low levels. So instead of saying the troponin's 300, we say it's 3. And the old troponin, contemporary troponin assays just can't do it. They can't measure in the single digits, and that's the advantage of the high sensitivity. So when they start talking about false positive MIs, it's like, that's not really true. 
We're not talking about MI at all. We're talking about really low levels of troponin. Does that help? Yes, it does help. And um, talking about the work coming out of Europe, an interesting part that I noted in your introduction that you said we were about 10 years behind Europe in research and clinical use of this assay, um, mostly because of the challenging regulatory environment in the United States. And you said that this has resulted in the majority of the high sensitivity troponin literature originating from European populations that have markedly higher acute MI rule-in rates than the U.S. And I was not aware that that was a thing. Um, so can you tell me a little bit more about that and then consequently why extrapolating European data then may not work for U.S. populations? And what does this overall have to do with what seems like so far a generalized hesitancy to adopt routine high sensitivity troponin use? At least that's how I feel. I, it, I may be wrong, but that's just what I see. No, I, I think that's correct. Um, there has been a pushback. and Pushback started in the regulatory environment and has now it is in lots of other places. Um, Europe tends to have higher MI rates in their studies than the United States by a lot. Our positive rate is somewhere on the order of 5%. If you take all comers chest pain and some studies from Europe, it's 35%. So it's not a little bit higher. And the reason that is, is because if you look at the European health system, it's much more focused on a primary care intervention. If you call your doctor and you say, I'm having chest pain, almost universally in the United States, they say, go to the ER. They don't say, come to my office and I'll deal with it. And so it's a completely different healthcare delivery system. And a lot of that is our legal system. We have more lawyers than uh, almost any place else in the world. And doctors are completely, uh, their behavior is changed by that. They are worried that if they have a patient come to their office in the middle of a heart attack and die, the first question they'll be asked is, why didn't you send them to the ER? And so they do that which means that we get a lot of people who are clearly not having an MI, but they're coming to the ER with chest pain for something else. And so our studies are um, have very low rates. And, and the reason that is important is if you're asking uh, an assay to do a job, to rule in a patient or rule out a patient, the population that you pick is important. And I'll give you an extreme example. If I go up to the CCU and I measure troponin on every single patient, because I got this new cool troponin test, and I'm going to measure it. And I do. 100% of them have an MI. Oh, that's great. It makes it's positive every time it draws a level, but they will never miss a they will never miss a diagnosis because there aren't any patients to miss. When 100% of the patients have an MI, you can't evaluate the test for ruling out or saying you don't have an MI. And so you have to have a population that looks like you want to use it so that you understand how it works in that population. And when we talk about high sensitive opponent, what we're talking about the ER population where only 5% of the patients have an MI, not the CCU population where everybody has an MI. So that, that's why it's important um, to, to make sure that it works in our world. And that's why we've been working. Um, a lot of data has come out in the last year or two on high sensitive in the United States. And it works just as well as in Europe, um, and, but we, in our different population. And we have different cut points uh, as well. You know, there's a lot of theory on why that is, uh, but this is something that we have to define for ourselves. So your objective was to evaluate this high-sensitivity troponin assay, this specifically the Beckman-Coulter one, um, using set level of quantification cut points to exclude myocardial infarction within three hours of ED presentation in patients with suspected acute coronary syndrome. So let's just briefly talk about what that actually means. So can you 
refresh our memories a little bit about the meanings of the terms level of quantification and coefficient of variation because they're very important in this paper. And then in plainer language, what is the difference between ruling in acute MI and ruling it out in terms of troponin? Okay, I'm going to start with the second part of your question first because it will then blend into the next. So ruling in means I draw blood, the troponin's really high, and I go, you have an MI. You have ruled into the cohort of having an MI. And ruling out is I draw a level, and it's very low, and I say you've ruled out, you're not having an MI. And so it, it is the bifurcation of the clinical intervention it's determined on that number. Now, the old troponins, they couldn't rule out anybody. You had to measure it over and over and over again because you're waiting for it to go really high because all the old troponins could do is detect really high. They couldn't detect really low. New troponins can detect really low. Now, the reason that, that it's taken some time to get to where we are is centers around the coefficient of variation. And the coefficient of variation is I draw blood out of your left arm and blood out of your right arm. The number should be the same, right? It, it shouldn't be difference. And, and if the troponin's really high, that's how it works. And so if I draw, I'm going to make up some numbers. If I draw it uh, out of your left arm, it'll come out at 30. And out of your right arm, it might be 31. Or maybe it's 29. But it's going to be really close to 30. And that's how the assays work. Now, when you get the level very low, the lower you get it, the harder it is for the assay to perform. So when you get down to 2 or 3, and you draw the blood out of your left arm and then out of your right arm, it might be four or five. And the other arm, it's two. And and that freaked out the FDA, quite honestly, because they're not, their understanding of how we really used the troponin assay uh, was misapplied. So if, if the cut point, uh, and it, for the Beckman, it's 17.9, is 17.9, and you have a 30% difference on that. So you might actually be 20 or you might actually be 17. That can be the difference between MI or not. So it's not acceptable to have huge variations around the cut point. But when we talk about high sensitivity troponin, we're not talking about around the cut point. We're talking about a level of two. And so if the cut point is 17.9 and you come in at two in your right arm and it's four in your left arm, that's 200% off, but it has no clinical value because I'm not going to call an MI at four any more than I am at two. So two or four don't matter but the FDA was all miscombobulated about this. And so they wanted it to be the same all the way down. It makes no clinical sense because we don't use it the same across the spectrum. So when it's high, anything around the cut point where we say you have had an MI or your heart cells are dying, then you need to have very tight coefficients. But down where it's low, not so critical, you know, unless it's 500% off and then that's a problem. But, you know, the level of two, uh, it could be 100% off and it would have no clinical bearing. And so that's the, the, the point here and the coefficient of variation. Now, the LOQ, the level of quantification, is a made-up number uh, by the FDA to say where we will tolerate the variation. And the LOQ is a 10% coefficient of variation. That's the definition. Now, and you'll see in our paper, we use two different definitions of LLQ. In other words, the level of quantification where we have clinical action. And, and so we made one 20% and one 10% just to see if they have any differences. And, and that's the, you know, the way we presented our paper. Thank you. So the database for this analysis was prospectively collected during 2012 and 13 as part of the FDA submission for this assay. So can you tell us a little bit about the original study? Sure. So 
we did this at a bunch of different hospitals, 14 of them scattered across the United States. And, and if you came in and you sounded like you might be having an MI, so you had to have chest pain or something that was consistent with an acute coronary syndrome uh, for at least five minutes, because if you have 30 seconds of symptoms, it's probably not a heart attack. Um, but if they had chest pain or they were really short of breath or they, you know, were going to pass out or something, they, they could be in the trial. And so, and that's how we use troponin. And, you know, anybody who I just mentioned would get a troponin level today. And we did an EKG on them. And if the EKG shows an MI, they were out of the trial because those people go straight to the cath lab and there's no re reason to draw any blood tests. But that's who got in. And we had all, a little more than a thousand patients ended up getting enrolled. It was 1,049 um, for that. And, and then we looked at see what, what happened to them. Um, we were using a definition of myocardial infarction was the, the third universal definition. And that was adjudicated by uh, cardiologists and an emergency doc blinded to what was going on uh, in terms of the high sensory troponin. They could look at the low sensitivity troponin that, that was contemporarily used and the clinical course, and they would make a decision, am I or not? And so that's how we came to the, the gold standard diagnosis in those patients. So then we apply our numbers that we got from the high sensitive proponent to that adjudicated data set of 1,049 patients. Great. So just tell us a little more now about the methods for this analysis. Okay. So for this analysis, what we did is we took the, the total population of people who did not have a troponin at any point above 17.9, and, and we didn't make up that number. That number is that when you took 1,000 patients and drew troponin off them, anybody that 99th percentile was at 17.9. So if you were under 17.9, you're normal. And if you're above 17.9, you're in the top 1%, and there's something definitely wrong with you because your heart should not be leaking troponin. Um, and so that's, we use that cut point. So anybody in my analysis that had a high troponin is out because they're not gonna go home. You. So, you know, the, people talk about false positive troponins, and I want to be really clear that, that that's just an ignorant position. Uh, if you have an elevated troponin, part of your heart has died. Maybe it's not a heart attack, but if a part of your heart has died, it is always bad. There is always an increased risk of short-term death. So that's how can short-term death be a false positive? Troponin is a structural protein. If it is measurable in your blood above the 99th percentile, it's a problem. And the only people who say there are false positives are people who are only caring about an MI. And that's a stupid position to take because if it's your mother and her troponin's above the 90%, you want somebody to do something about this because she's got a risk of being dead. So it's really critical. So that's what we did is anybody who had a troponin above 17.9, they're out of the trial because they need to be hospitalized. They should not be a candidate for being discharged. So now we're left with a much smaller population. Um, and, and in this analysis, uh, there are two analyses that we did, one with uh, the LOQ of 10% and one with the LOQ of 20%. And so we're going to, we have two populations with slightly different performance characteristics because we were, one of the things we're trying to evaluate is the differences there. So if, if we do that though, we end up still with 829 patients whose troponins were underneath the URL below 17.9. And we segregated them into different cohorts to find out what we could do with them. Because as an emergency doc, if you have a really, really low troponin, you're probably going to be fine and I can send you home, or at least not, I can say you're not having an MI and then I can decide what else to do with you. So if, and those LOQs are 2.3, and I'm just going to say two, and it was 5.6, and I'm just going to say five. So if you were below two, 
um, you were going to rule out if you had any troponin below two. Now, remember, none of these people had high ones. So that it was between under two and below 17.9 to get into this group. So if you were had two troponins done at, at one and three hours that were under two, your negative predictive value for an MI was 100%. But in fact, if you ever have a level troponin under two, your negative predictive value was 100%. As long as you'd never, as, as long as you didn't, weren't above 17.9, if you have a really low troponin, you're done. And this brings to, uh, to emergency docs to what I call as the holy grail. It's the one and done. It's not a bunch of troponins at zero and three hours, so people have to hang around the ER for hours and hours while we get this sorted out. This is, your troponin is so low, it can't possibly be a myocardial infarction that's causing your pain, and you can leave. Maybe you can't leave because you've got asthma, we'll deal with your asthma but you're, you don't need to hang around here for your MI because you're not going to have an MI. So that's at the level of 2.3. And if you take it up to five, you had almost the exact same numbers, except there is one little caveat, which is the people who started high and then went low or the people who started low and went high, they had good performance numbers, but the confidence intervals were wide. And the reason is, is there were only uh, about 53 of them that fell into that category, which meant 558 of the patients had very low troponins, under five were done and you could leave. So once again, um, even with troponins as high as five, you can be one and done. So of your thousand patients, half can go. So this is a huge deal. You figure in the United States, there are um, about 330 million people, about a third of them go to the ER every year. It's 130 million ER visits of which 10% are considered to be uh, requiring working up for an MI. So of 130 million, that's 13 million people a year who go to the ER with chest pain who get ruled out. And if half of them could leave within an hour, that would be a miracle. So this is the value of high sensory opponent is the ability to exclude MI at the really, really low levels. We are not talking about anything near the cut point. We're talking about your troponin so low that it can't be anything bad with your heart. So that's what my trial is about. So would you say yet that a single high sensitivity of troponin less than the LOQ at baseline is sufficient to rule out an MI at this point? Or what would you say the advantages of a second draw still are? Yeah. So, so let me put in some vernacular there. Uh, we can't lump all high sensitivity troponins together. Okay. For the first off, they don't have uh, similar cut points. Um, and, and the manufacturers use different molecules. And so each troponin needs to have its own uh, analysis like I've done. And, and, and lots of them do. Um, but so you can't do a big lump. So a five with the Beckman is not the same as a five with the Roche. They're markedly different um, because it's not all high sensitive troponin are, are created equal. Mm -hmm. And so you have to know the data of the assay that you're working with. But having said that, the, if, if you have this assay, um, and you get an initial low troponin, you can be one and done. Um, and, and there is some caveat that I would, would hang on that. Um, and it has to do with the way we do trials in the United States. Um, and and the, it, the issue here is that when you come to an ER and we're doing a study, we have to give you a consent form. It takes us a good hour to consent you and to draw your blood. And so there's a, a wasted hour. Well, the longer you wait, the more, the better that troponin perform because if it was going to rise, we would have already caught it. Um, the other problem is, is that no, it is very unusual people to show up within an hour of the chest pain onset. Mm -hmm. So 
the average patients and most of the trials have been done in chest pain is about three and a half hours from onset. Once again, that has given the troponin a better chance to work because it's got time to rise. And if it, mm. that way you'll detect the rise, you won't miss the rise. So if you've got somebody who's visiting their grandmother in the hospital and while they were there, they get chest pain and they walk down to the ER. So they're 20 minutes into it. There is no troponin assay that will work because, and we have, have such inability to study. And then this analysis, we have about 70 people out of a thousand who had troponins drawn in under three hours. And that's why I was very careful to put the caveat in here is that if you have a one and done troponin and a patient has had at least three hours of symptoms, you can be done. But if they've had less than three hours of symptoms, you should be very careful because we just don't have a ton of experience. And so you asked me, what is the value of that second troponin? Well, that's the value of the second troponin is that you've got somebody with early symptoms. I want to have the opportunity to, to check them again. The other value is the, of the second troponin is this. Remember, there's 53 people who were not initially, well, so, so they came in and their first troponin was under five, but higher than two. Mm -hmm. And then they had a second troponin done. Uh, they all ruled out, but the negative predictive value, it's 100%. But the confidence interval uh, was 92 to 100 for the people who started low and then went above the five. They didn't pass the 17.9, but they went from five, let's say, to, to eight. Mm -hmm. uh, or the people who started out at eight and went below five, that, there was only 21 people. So you end up with really wide confidence intervals. So there were 32 in the low high and 21 in the high low. So if somebody starts there um, at a high and comes down, they're going to rule out. But the problem is, is the confidence intervals are wide. It's from 88 to 100% in that cohort. So um, in those patients, it is safer to make sure that they are not, um, that, that moving troponin is not going to leave you with a big confidence interval, because that means, whereas if you have a low and a low in that first three hour, in that three hour period, um, mm -hmm. your negative predictive value is hundred percent and the lower limb of the confidence interval is 99.5. So it's almost hundred percent. So, you know, that patient's safe, but the other ones that are moving, you, you are not so certain. And, and I don't know that they'll ever, you know, I mean, it may be a while till we get a trial done where we can evaluate these people with these other moving troponins, uh, cause you're going to need, you know, four or 500 of them to be able to say it's safe. Fascinating. Um, are there any limitations of your analysis that you'd like to mention? I think just those two, the, the moving troponin and the early, um, the early presenters are where the opportunities to miss an MI exist. And that's what you want to be cold, uh, very careful about. So what comes next? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. So what I would like to see is a better adoption in the United States of, of the high sense troponin. Um, we get a lot of pushback from cardiologists who are worried about being called for every troponin that's slightly elevated. Mm -hmm. What is very clear is that uh, troponins can go up for non-heart attack reasons, that, that part of your heart can die from, uh, from renal failure. And there's a whole group of conditions, um, cardiorenal syndromes, where the heart and the kidneys interact and the heart dies from it. Mm -hmm. If that happens, that's really bad. That patient should not uh, be considered low risk. And if it's a new thing, they should absolutely be hospitalized and dealt with. Now, some people live with slightly elevated troponins and you don't need to think of them as an MI either. And then fourth generation of the universal definition now requires that to call it an MI, you must demonstrate ischemia, which is completely fair. 
you know, in the COVID era, we see people who have elevated troponins from COVID. And that's not an MI. That's the virus is eating their heart. Um, and there's patients with strokes and there's patients with pneumonia and sepsis and all sorts of stuff who have an elevated troponin. They will always do worse than the same patient without an elevated troponin. There's no such thing as a false positive. But if you've identified that patient, you now need to do something. Um, what that something is, is based on the underlying pathology. Mm. So if it's pneumonia, they need better pneumonia care. If it's renal failure, their kidneys need to be taken care of. Um, but you've got to get onto it because it's a marker of death. Super helpful. Well, thank you so much um, for your work in this paper and for talking with us. And I am excited to see where this goes. Well, thank you for, uh, for letting me uh, talk about my favorite molecule. And uh, hopefully we get to do it again. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. The full text of this article is available on our blog at brownemblog.com, open access for a limited time. Check out all of our podcasts on iTunes. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.